Peace, love, and fish grease family. It's your girl, Coffee, here for yet another episode of Fashion News Politics. I am here with Miss Stephanie D. King, activist, t-shirt, connoisseur. She over here with a Byron Douglas shirt on, y'all. I'm I'm in awe right now. <laughs> um, and proud, proud prison abolitionist. Welcome to the show, Steph. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Um, so we'll just hop right into it. Um, tell the people about the work you do in the world and why you chose to work in prison abolition. Okay. Um, that's a simple enough question. Um, I, so I'm a prison abolitionist, um, which I'll take just a short moment. There's a really good, um, like illustration. I forget who it's done by. It's an interview with, um, Marion Kaba. It's what I send people um, when they ask me what that means, which people don't usually say, well, what does that mean? People usually say, oh, so you just think all the killers and rapists should be running in the streets? And no, that's not um, language that I use or what I mean. Um, what most folks who consider themselves prison abolitionists mean when they say um, abolish prisons is that we want to see a world without prisons and we want to see a world that doesn't need prisons um so not just like burn down all the prisons and like let the people run free right it's like what are the things that we're not doing to meet the needs of people who end up um doing things that are illegal or criminalized and they end up in prison right um there was also a, a clip when um what was the event that happened and there was the um, native elder on video talking about it was like a, a MAGA protest is that what it was and the kid and then they were like this right. guy's had trouble in the past and we're like what does that have to do right. with him with protesting um, part of his speech though was about and, and the content wasn't even originally like prison or prison abolition part of his speech was um, you know when we had this land before, you know, colonizers came, like we didn't have prisons, we didn't need prisons, right. we didn't have walls. That was his point. He started with walls and went to prisons. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I came to this work. I used to do um, almost all of my sort of professional and personal work, um, like from college forward, has been um, somehow related to justice. And so I was doing um, educational work. that you know and you visit them you're still in the visiting room right so you see the lobby you see the visiting room mm-hmm. but you're most likely not seeing um like any common spaces that the folks who live there are in um you're not seeing cells so when i was doing this work i was seeing all of that and i just before that had no idea what was happening 
happening in prisons and jails in the U.S. to that extent. Um, and so I, I became super interested in, in that work and in how do we dismantle this piece. Um, and again, all is connected. Right. Right. What are the needs that aren't being met that are leading to folks? Yeah, I, I, I shared this with you because um, I have two family members who are actually at the prison that you currently um, are doing a lot of work at. And um, I think about like what got them there often. And we were never like, uh, I grew up pretty middle class. Like, I would never, I never had a lot to, to ask for, like worry about, but think about the trauma that led them there mm-hmm. you know like I didn't really get into like my family's histories on either side until I was grown mm-hmm. so um, I think a lot of us forget that even when folks grow up well off right. quote unquote mm-hmm. um, there's still a lot of trauma mental health issues um, and even just like the societal pressure of like because they're men right. so the societal pressure of like what is a man you ain't a man unless you got to get money you got to right. do this you got to be that and they kind of got wrapped up in all of in all of that right. which is another thing that i feel like we don't really focus on the societal pressure of doing things the peer pressure of it all mm-hmm. that gets folks wrapped up in these worlds that have them in prison um so yeah i i definitely admire the work that you do a whole lot um also on social media we were we were talking on a post and you said something about like language the kind of language that you should use to Mm -hmm. refer to incarcerated persons Mm -hmm. and i've actually been using it so can you give us some ways to like refer to folks who are incarcerated like what should we be using versus what we the language we currently are normalizing using sure um so I tend to say, depending on the sentence and the context, I tend to say um, people who are incarcerated or incarcerated people, or um, if I'm talking about prison and I'm distinguishing, like if, I, if I'm talking about, if I'm telling a story that happened inside a prison, I'm distinguishing the people who live there from the people who work there, I'll say that, like right. the people who live there versus the people who work there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are, those are the main ones I tend to go with. Um, some folks say prisoner, and I don't contest that, um, in, in the sense that that's a word that is and has been politicized right. in a particular way, um, and that is factually accurate um, and serves that purpose. Other words, um, I, I can't even say it, the I word um, people typically use, um, oh, okay. inmate. Okay. Um, Tend to not say that word. I don't say that word. Um, is it because the inmate is just like derogatory? Yeah, just, it's just and it, and it's impersonal, particularly in the way that it tends to be used inside of prisons. Mm-hmm. So people who work in prisons who, who shout that word at someone to get their attention mm-hmm. um, rather than their name. Wow. Uh, yeah, um, that was one of the first things I noticed when I went into the women's jail. Is yeah, and, and I mean, if you think of like any old footage or reenactments or films that you've seen of um, like 
white people shouting like nigger or boy or right. wow right. i never even thought of it that yeah. way yeah wow um and so it's grating to like hear it um so i don't use that word i don't use um felon or convict or even ex-felon or ex it's just not you're taking away from from the person that's a right. person Right. Um, and so, it, it, I always compare it to um, when James Baldwin said, um, you know, why, why did you need a nigger in the first place? Right. What, what is it about you that made you create um, that, that concept, that construct? Like, what, what is it about you? Um, and so I don't use that word. And it's, it's a fight, and it's, there are people who do the work, who do use the word. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not really like an us versus them, kind of like I'm schooling people. Like there are people who do the work who don't think that um, there's anything wrong with the word. But I, it, it, when I hear it, I hear nigger. Like it's, mm. that's what I hear. Wow. That's what I hear. Actually, so that, you know, that um, exchange that we had on social media and I was kind of watching, that actually change the way I started using that language right and I think thank you for explaining that because I think it's important for us to remember that you know the people behind these walls are somebody's loved one Mm -hmm. somebody's father somebody's Mm -hmm. mother you know grandparents a lot of them at this point um especially for those who have had you know non-violent drug offenses and got the book thrown at them they're grandparents now um I just think it's important for us to get back to humanizing especially if we want to truly break this system Mm -hmm. right and rebuild something totally new Mm -hmm. we have to get better at how we refer to people and how we treat each other so thank you for um explaining those why why we don't use those words thank you essentially um in doing this work you you also went to palestine with um a few folks we have in common Mm -hmm really good friends of mine some really great people first of all y'all look like you had a ball (laughs) and um how did that kind of inform your work in um, a global sense Mm -hmm. of you know prison abolition yeah um that trip was so Well in math. 
Um, but yeah, no science, science, and, and all that. It just wasn't. It, I didn't, and I, I took that into adulthood, mm-hmm. and then carried like all of the like anxiety and like, and so you know, I paid attention to like um, politics and current events as much as I could keep up, um, which often felt like not, not or not enough. Anyway, having um, gone there, and I, and I had a sort of better than average understanding of what was happening in Palestine um, because of friends that I had with Palestinians. Right. Um, and that, that, that's literally the only reason I had any sort of understanding of what was going on there. Um, because it fell under the category of those things that I just had told myself I didn't understand and didn't try to connect to and understand. Um, that trip has influenced me in such a way that I've worked to figure out Study and learn and retain information about happenings in the world. And so I'm like, I actively pay attention now to, to because all these things are connected, mm-hmm. right? So, like, the, um, the unrest that's happening right now um, in Kashmir, like, it's all connected. That's all like, right? Yeah, I'm certain the people. In, in, in power in India are like following like the Israel playbook only by of course <laughs> wasn't it didn't the police, uh, Philadelphia Police Department get trained by them or like definitely NYPD okay and I, I can't I think they were trying to that person doesn't retain okay, it's alright no because I think it, right I think they were trying to get trained by mm-hmm. them on some like takedown tactics and stuff and we were all like oh like right. it wasn't even that far that long ago you know no, i think it was like exactly. a summer and a half because maybe. these systems aren't separate or disconnected and so that was why visiting made me understand like you really need to try you don't have to be an expert like i don't have to be an expert i don't have to like know all the names and know all the places mm-hmm. to understand that all of these things are wrong and to pay attention and to pay attention to um the people who live there and who are from there who are telling us like here's what we So just understanding, so two things, two main things came from that trip for me in terms of um, like, like my, my politics and my action, it, it pushed me to learn and pay attention to what is going on around me. Um, and it reminded me that I still can just be good at what I'm good at. Right. And still be involved. Like, I, you know, it's that sort of, and I'm also, I also was, there's a meme that, that goes around about kids in gifted programs and like how they grow up to like not try things that they won't automatically be good at. Mm. I'm that kid, so <laughs> it's pushing me to like not be worried about like being perfect and always getting it right, um, but to be involved, yeah. to know that these things are connected and that it's our duty. And this is all, you know, the teachings of, of um, Malcolm and, and Asada and, and all these folks have been telling us for decades, like, this is all connected and it's yeah. our duty to, like, work on all of it. Right. Um, and I think I'm just now getting to that point. Um, but I'm in my 30s, so, yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's never too late to put your hand to your part of the plow. Absolutely. I think that's where a lot of folks are like, I don't know, like for me, organizing was intimidating because it was like, I don't know where to start, where to begin, how to, how I'm going to get in this thing. And then um, I realized that my gift is like loving youth and children and like getting them politicized. So that is how I began to do the work. Absolutely. Um, and I tell people that all the time. People are like, oh, what do I do? Do what you already do that you're already good at. Right. If so if you're a cook, we need to eat. That's what, Activists that's need to you eat. Do. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Feed, feed us. Feed, feed the movement. They're, you know, the, the Montgomery Bus Boycott was built off of and sustained by black women who sold dinners in their kitchen Absolutely. to fund these meetings and, and had meetings at their kitchen tables Absolutely. and all those things. There's power in all of these things. Absolutely. And sometimes I think where we get hung up is that, um, and I was having this conversation last night, like after a wedding, oddly enough, about, um, you know, uh, just looking for one central figure. We had to take that Ella Baker approach and build strong people Absolutely. so that we have a leader full movement Absolutely. and not just because when one, what happens when a leader dies and then we're like, well, who gonna pick it up? Right. What's going on? Right. What happens next? Right. And then we're like, oh shit. And then people try to be that person and we're like, mm, I don't really like who you're trying to be. And we criticize them and then they get discouraged. That's, you know, problematic to them wanting to do the work. Was there, um, I, I mean, I watched I watched y'all's Instagrams like hawks yeah. <laughs> when y'all were there. Yeah. Um, especially yours because you did a really great job of like detailing everything and just kind of um, watching and hearing about how like the folks, it's literally like a physical cast system because they have to walk under things and through turnstiles and they get trash dumped on them. And I can't imagine treating people like that like right. actual people right just because they want to live right. on a particular piece of land right you know there's an episode of um black mirror season two okay. maybe season one um where there are soldiers they're either soldiers or like police officers i think they're soldiers and they've been they've been calling these people that they're hunting not like, not like as a slur, but like as their like those are roaches, right? And it's commentary on how that has made it easier for them to hunt and murder people because they don't see them as people, right? And so that's what's happening over there. That's what's happening here. Mm. You know, if, if black people aren't black people, if black people aren't people, they're not human, right? Then we can just do whatever. Right, it doesn't and, even matter. Right, and so that that's what is, is happening to Palestinian people is, um, and there was like a, again, my memory and my, my retention, but there was a um, anchor on one of these cable news shows um, that said something. I mean, there's like a whole history of, of sort of erasing the humanity, uh, even in labeling right. Palestinian people. And that's what it's a part of, to right. make it easier to, to just treat them any kind of way. Um, what was really interesting was being there at the whole group of us were um, black and brown folks. And so being there and being privileged as Americans over 
so odd. That was wild. Cause I, I can't imagine traveling as a black person anywhere and having privilege, to be it's, honest. It's, it's freaky. It's wild. It was so, it was so disheartening to like, to know that you can't do anything about it. Oh, wow. I mean, anything in the like real sort of tangible, um, immediate yeah that that was that was a, a, a super intense sort of feeling to, to realize and to recognize they don't hide it so to recognize like i'm being privileged over these people who live here right. and over people who have been exiled and can't come back there um you know i'm able to just sort of and not not to make it seem like it's easy and like black folks can just easily like go to palestine and be like i'm here what's up Mm-hmm. They definitely scrutinize. I'm sure. Why are you here? Right. What are you doing? And right. so you definitely have to like be able to answer questions in a particular way. Um, but once you get in, yeah, to be there and to know that like I have Palestinian friends here, right, who have trouble getting in or who can't get in, mm-hmm. and my American passport is just sort of like free pass here we go. But yeah, overall, it was it was an amazing experience. Um, it's a beautiful land. Um, we encountered beautiful people. Um, it was definitely bittersweet because you know there's they've been oppression. Right. Um, but so many people that we encountered asked us, begged us to just sort of come back and talk about everything what we saw. Right. Do we could see right. and instantly recognize and identify. Um, so we have a lot of conversation about solidarity and sort of what, what's our collective responsibility now that we're back. Um, yeah, because you guys did an amazing um, debrief at um, Uncle Bobby's. We did at the People's Education Center there, um, and I missed it. But I was like, oh, I'm, I'm so I was so upset I missed it, but. I talked to Crystal, um, who also went on the trip. Mm-hmm. I talked to her afterwards, and she had a lot of the, the same things to say. Um, were the checkpoints nerve-wracking? Um, they were... I wouldn't say nerve-wracking, because, again, I had this sort of... Uh, along with the privilege of knowing that we're Americans, I had this sort of, like about like we're black but we're American so like they're not gonna like do anything to us right um but it was definitely and, and I'll say this too for me the whole time so much was comparable to prison mm-hmm. so it just felt like I know I have to act a certain way to get through this thing um which is how I feel going into prison right like I know I'm not trying to smuggle anything in but I know that if I like look a particular way or turn a particular way, I'm going to be interrogated extra 